Society is very pleased to be part of this program tonight, and we want to thank and recognize the Portland Public Library, uh, Print, Island Port Press, Press Hotel, and Bunker Brewing for bringing us all together. This book is a great example of the preservation and storytelling that we at MHS try to promote and that we ourselves strive for with our work every day. In fact, if you have stories of your own from Portland's past that you want to share, or if you'd like to see more photos from the city, not only from the 1970s, but from the 1870s as well, visit our database, Main Memory Network. The website is mainmemory.net. And uh, you can become a contributor yourself, or you can just browse some of the historical records and photos and uh, artifacts on there. I know I don't have to tell you all what a special place Portland is. Recently referred to as everything from America's coziest city to the foodie city to the restaurant city of the year. But locals know and have always known that there's so much more to it than that and can't help but wax a bit nostalgic for an era before all that notoriety. Remembering this city and its people of a time not so long ago is what brings us together tonight. So I'm going to introduce our speakers, Chris Busby. Did I say that correctly? Sure. <laughs> uh, is a journalist, writer, co-founder of the Mainer News Cooperative and publisher of Mainer, a free monthly news and arts magazine founded in 2005 and previously worked as an editor at the uh, Casco Bay Weekly and as a columnist for Bangor Daily News. And John Duncan uh, started taking photos with his father's old camera and developed them during camera club at Falmouth Middle School. After graduating from Falmouth High School in 1969, some time with the Air Force, and working at numerous jobs and trades, everything from a deckhand at Casco Bay Lines to selling cotton candy with Ringling Circus. He picked up photography again in the 1970s, this time focusing on the complex characters he saw during his travels locally and abroad. The Portland he knew and saw back then is the subject of this book and our discussion tonight. Thank you both uh, for being here. Thanks very much, uh, everyone, for coming out. It's awesome to be here at Bunker. And uh, uh, I want to say that, you know, I am, I'm personally humbled to be sharing the, uh, the room here with John Duncan. Seriously, John, the book that you have produced here is absolutely fantastic. It is incredible. It's, it's a beautiful document of Portland during the 1970s. The photographs themselves, I believe, I mean, there, there, are, there are works of art here. John. I mean, uh, I don't know if there's anyone from the PMA or any of the big uh, museums uh, associated with the universities in this state. Um, uh, but I have to say, the quality, these photos, many of these photos, a lot of these photos are museum quality photos. And they should be in museums in Maine, I firmly believe, because they're of that quality. They're re it's really incredible work. And another thing I was struck by reading your book, by the way, and I, ha you know, as an editor of a, a paper, I have to say this, 
you are a great writer. Um, I, I mean, if anyone's already read, uh, you know, if you had a chance to read, you no, know, but I mean, seriously, your writing is really good. Um, it, you, you've got a really good voice, and of course, just your life is, is really fantastic as material. Um, but uh, I have to say kudos to you, not only as an artist, but as a writer. And, and there's a lot to love in this book. And I also want to mention, um, by the way, that you, you put in a lot of historical detail in this book that I, I wasn't really necessarily expecting. But there's, it's so well-researched as well, not only from your era, but going back into you know, the history of Portland. So you know, I found the book to be really rich in so many ways. And uh, I, I'm just blown away by, by what you've accomplished. So again, I'm, I feel humbled to, to be here with you. And to also, I'm so honored that we're publishing some of your work in Mainer. And you know, I mean, really, you thank you for for contributing to to our publication, and uh, I want to say that up front. Um, really, it's this is a This book is really there's a reason that it's it's selling like crazy. It's a really a tremendous document. But let me start out with something that I, that I don't think that you you address too much in your writing. When you graduated from Falmouth High School, you said you were kind of a, a middling student. Um, but granted, it was 1969. But why didn't you, you know, immediately go to college? You know, had you, had that been the plan at all during high school? An expectation that you would to go go to college in '69? Uh, what was your thinking at that juncture of your life? Right. Uh, nothing. I mean, I didn't really have a plan. Uh, I just got out of school, um, hit the streets of Portland. I was still living, I think, at that time, in my home in Falmouth on Johnson Road and uh, kind of pendling, you know, going back and forth and uh, spending time in the city, sometimes stay over with friends. Um, that first year before I uh, was confronted with like the draft and things like that, um, I just uh, was uh, bouncing around, you know, doing this and that. Uh, I, it, it, it's all somewhat foggy in those days. <laughs> you know, I drove cab and this and that, but I think that came later. I, a year in Nebraska going to college, uh, that was like 71, 2, somewhere in there, and then closer to the mic. Closer to the mic. Oh, there we go. Okay. Sorry. Um, I'm not used to a mic. Anyway, um, and uh, then, uh, you know, stint in the Air Force only because I had a low draft number and I couldn't decide between um, Canada or, you know, I thought if I went in the Air Force, it would be more educational. Um, as opposed to being on the ground and being drafted and, and all that. And uh, so that was a short time, though. That was only nine months. <laughs> and uh, then uh, back to Portland and then working on the boats, uh, the Ringling Circus thing for a couple of different times during the summers, uh, hitchhiking around, some time in California in the mid-'70s. I think I know I was in California uh, during the 76 uh, uh, bicentennial, because I remember that very distinctly. and. Uh, yeah, um, it was just kind of one thing. <laughs> I don't know, one journey, I guess you could say. And it still continues on. I mean, it's like, yeah. Well, but, you know, wh what gave you the confidence to just go, at, go ahead and go across country knowing you had no money? I mean, you, you weren't like a trust fund kid. Like, you know, you, you ran out of money routinely. You'd be, you sold your camera. You sold your motorcycle. I mean, what was it about those days that, that just gave you the, the confidence in the sense that you could just travel anywhere in the country with literally no cash at all and just pick up work or whatever, you know? I mean, because 
I, I don't think that's really the case today. So just, uh, I, I wanna use this example. So when I was 15, and what is kind of fascinating to me is uh, Island Poet came out with a book a few days after mine called The Ghost of Walter Crockett, uh, about uh, Ed Crockett wrote about his father in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, who was kind of a derelict on the streets of Portland, uh, kind of got kicked out of his home when he was you know, a kid and spent time sleeping in Lincoln Park and this and that. And when I got into page eight of that book, <laughs> it talks about his father in 1948 at the age of 15 hitchhiking to the Bowery with a guy named Jeep Jennings who, um, to go just to go down there and get drunk. And I actually ran away at the age of 15 to New York City as a result of, I was growing up in Falmouth, uh, I was at Holy Martyrs Church. Um, a good friend of mine, his older brother, came back from Vietnam and he came into the church that day and he was missing, I forget if it was an arm, leg, but he had some serious injuries. And I was so upset as a young 15 year old that I decided I was gonna uh, run away and go to Vietnam. <laughs> so, um, and so uh, I hitchhiked, I went to a Chevrolet dance. I mean, I had my father and mother, they dropped me at a Chevrolet dance, which was a thing in those days. And then I went to the bus station. I remember it was 25 bucks round trip, New York City. Got down there, came out in Times Square. It was like a war zone, which I had never seen com coming from Portland. And uh, two days later, I did come home again. And, and I, saw I stayed with a friend of mine that I had met in summer camp here and uh, uh, came back. And uh, I guess I just had this wanderlust. I just always loved to just go out on adventure. And I liked to do it by myself. I found sometimes I had a good friend from Falmouth. We tried hitchhiking together and we didn't get along very well. You know, I wanted to go one way, you want to go another way, you know, and, and so I just enjoyed that kind of um, unpredictability. It's almost like, you know, you come to these different little crossroads. Oh, am I going to take this road or that road? And it was just that kind of unknown, adventurous kind of uh, serendipitous whatever that just kind of excited me and, and, and stuff. So that's, that's what happened. <laughs> Well, it, it really was a different time, and, and I think, you know, w so many people can't really appreciate what was going on for people of your age during that time with the draft in particular, and I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, it just strikes me that, you know, so many of the people that you document in your photographs are people who are kind of doing their own thing, they're on the more of the fringes of society, uh, they're kind of living lives of essentially poverty, you know, living in these little rundown apartments and so forth. Um, but for yourself and your friends during that time, was there a sense that you didn't really have a future? I mean, this is off you were talking early 70s, this is also during the oil, sh oil crisis, the oil shock, major depressions, uh, recessions going on then. Um, was, was there a sense that, you know, things were kind of coming apart? I mean, obviously, you know, the 60s were the 60s, but here you are now in the 70s, and, you know, it, you've got uh, the oppression of the Vietnam War, you've got all this drug stuff going on. I mean, you yourself personally are under surveillance by the FBI, which, uh, you know, is in the book, you know, but, I mean, it, it, were you and your friends feeling like, you know, like the, just the, the regular straight life wasn't an option for you, like getting a house in the suburbs and having a nine to five? Because it seems like all of you were leading really, you know, eclectic DIY lives. And I wonder to what extent, like, what was happening in the society and culture, you know, drove you to do that? Well, I just think that, um, you know, I, I was a drifter, I, you know, I say that almost like, you know, I remember I read The Drifters, that was a, one of the books I remember I read in the early 70s by Michener, um, which was very, uh, yeah, 
impressed a lot on me. I mean, I was reading about reading that book, Europe on five dollars a day, traveling. You know, went to Europe, hitchhiked around, came back. Um, it was just this ongoing. Um, for me personally, it was. I, I I don't think I ever really felt any sense of you know uh, that I had to do anything particular. It was just kind of one day at a time kind of experience for me at that time, um, and probably would have continued that way if I hadn't met Suzanne in Sweden at the end of the the decade in 1979 in Italy, um, which then you know changed my life, and I ended up there and, and had kids and, and got trained and as an immigrant and, and took classes and this and that, um, I probably would have <laughs> continued on. Um, so it's hard for me to say. I mean, you know, you had, you had Kent State. I do remember, you know, uh, all those different incidents that were going on. Um, it, it, was, it was just a time of, uh, you know, I was just doing all kinds of different jobs and just living day by day, driving cab at night. A lot of, you know, we did a lot of, it was a lot of drugs, you know, um, <laughs> and so, it, it, yeah, music, um, yeah, I don't know, it just, yeah, it was what it was, uh, but I never felt a sense that I had to settle down and get a house. My father thought I should and, and was always uh, upset that I never took that path. Um, so, you know, it, uh, but here I am on the other end of it all, kind of, and it's all kind of worked out well. I mean, you know, uh, obviously uh, with this, but also just life in general. I got a great uh, son, Leo, who's here somewhere, and uh, a new grandchild, a first grandchild, uh, Shamir. And uh, so, you know, it, it's, uh, it's worked out. Well, absolutely. Um, you know, can you talk at all about you know one of the other things I was struck by with you know so many of the of the so much of the charm of, of your photos is the response of, of your subjects to being photographed, and it, it seems to me that back in the seventies, uh, people's response to being photographed was maybe different than today. I mean, today everyone's got a, a a great phone in their pocket, but you know what you were doing was you know it's still kind of unusual. People weren't just you know thrown cameras around on the street. Have you noticed, because you're, you're taking photos even today, how, how has the public's response to a photographer on the street changed, if it has, from the 70s until now? Just the response you get to, to people when you encounter them and photograph them. Well, you know, as a street photographer, uh, at least when I'm doing street photography, I mean, I, I, yeah, I can do other kinds of things, but um, I think it's in the book too. If uh, I think it's written in there, this about you know, the sense of just going out and harvesting images. Like there's this garden of people <laughs> on the streets, all these things going on, and going out and trying to kind of just like harvest these images and never knowing what it, it could be a good harvest or a shitty harvest, whatever, bad, good or bad. And uh, I've noticed, uh, you know, in the summers when I'm riding my bike around, I I'll shoot right off the bicycle and capture things that are you know just randomly zooming by people and then afterwards see these, you know, looking at the photos, just capturing these things that I didn't even see when I took the picture. Uh, sometimes I think of it like the camera is actually taking the picture, not me, because um, sometimes I don't even look at the, at the screen on the camera, I just do it and uh, uh, never know, you know, what's going to come of it. But, you know, I do remember I, there's one picture I, I have uh, that I took that was uh, riding by on a bike, and then when I looked at it after, this woman is scowling at me. It's a young boy in front of her running. He's kind of half in midair, 
And I, that was kind of my focus. I didn't really pay attention to the woman and her daughter, but the woman was not happy when I, you know, I could see that. But at the same time, I thought that captured a certain aspect of human behavior. <laughs> and I guess that's what street photography is. You're capturing these kind of just random moments of human behavior and facial expressions that, uh, you know, say something. I mean, it's, it's but, uh, but like you say, everybody's taking pictures all the time, and I guess there's a difference between um, taking, uh, like taking pictures and being a photographer, I guess there's a difference in some ways, but uh, with the phone and the quality of pictures one can get, um, it's, uh, it's become almost, um, it's almost kind of cheapened the whole idea of pictures in certain ways, because there's so many out there. Uh, but as I've started to do some film again, too, I find that quite, quite, uh, takes me back to the idea that you never see it. It's not instant gratification. You don't see the picture right off the bat. So you take the pictures, I go home, I develop the film in a little canister and scan the negatives. I, I don't have a dark room, but uh, I enjoy that because it's just this more, I guess, sensual process. You have to handle the film and you know, do all these things with a, with a film camera that you don't maybe have to do with a, uh, a digital camera in the same way. So uh, yeah, it's uh Interesting. Um, well, you know, let me also ask you, you know, just in terms of that process, one of the things that strikes me is that in your, in your photos, th the subjects really are the star. Because, you know, as, as Dean pointed out in the in introduction that he wrote, I don't, you didn't really go about it as, you know, like a professional photographer or an artist. And, you know, so it's, it's not so much, even though, like, for example, I feel like the framing of your shots in particular is brilliant. Um, you, 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 didn't, you don't look at the photo and think, oh, well, that's, you know, John Duncan, this or that. The, 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 the real star is the subject of the photo, I think. And, you know, is it possible to, to go through a few of the, uh, of the pictures that we have in the, the book? Because, um, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, there's, I got so much out of this. Um, those are a couple shots of John. Oh, wait, by the way, uh, wh wh while we're talking about Michelle, do you want to speak about Michelle while we have her up here? Okay, because, yeah, I don't want to go by her. Um, but, yeah, let's, let's talk about this because this was an uh, award-winning photo that you took uh, of Michelle, and there's a real backstory to it. Um, what? All right. So I took this picture of Michelle. There's actually a few other shots where she's sitting in the West End uh, selling Kool-Aid, and she's sitting in a baby carriage. So she's sitting with her butt in the carriage. Her legs are hanging off the front. Um, she's got the Kool-Aid in front of her. And uh, I took the shot of, I have shots of her like doing that. Then I took this shot, which is with a, I think I had a 135 millimeter, it's a telephoto shot somewhat. And yeah, it, 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 I, I've had this shot up until two years ago. I had no idea who it was. and. I've always wanted to know who it was because it's one of my favorite photos. And um, then I found her. And uh, so the what I'm going to read, and I read this, I don't know who was at the St. Lawrence thing because I read this up there, but for the old cliche, a picture is worth a thousand words, I feel that what occurred around this photo and my communication with Michelle and her daughter, and Michelle as a young person was in the West End, but then when she was raising a family, she was in Wyndham. Now she lives in Florida with her daughter. So I'm gonna read this uh, exchange we've had uh, on uh, like Facebook Messenger. Um, and this occurred 
just before I did the presentation in November, um, uh, uh, when the when the book, the initial book presentation. So, I'm answering her, uh, and I just said, for me, it's not just about the photo, but the story behind it, which I've only shared in conversation with friends. When I first connected with you, and told you I had heard about your daughter, Marina, taking her own life. The first thing you said was, I hope no one comments negatively on your Facebook page. That you were concerned for me in that way spoke volumes to me about human kindness. I have told that story to so many as an example of the goodness of people. I'll never forget those words. And it's all that background around your photo that makes it what it is for me. So Michelle answered me and she said, you made me cry. I think that is what is wrong in this world. Not enough people show kindness. I try to every day. You never know if the old man in the grocery store you smiled at and said hello to has talked to anyone that week. The dollar that you might waste on a coffee may really help change a homeless person's life. There are so many people who choose to look the other way, not bothering with small acts of humanity. And when I think it's the easiest thing you can do, it costs nothing. Well, maybe a few minutes of your time. No one's life is so important that they cannot spare a few minutes. It breaks my heart to see anyone or anything being ignored. I hope that by you sharing my story, it makes people realize that we know no one's full story. I've learned to work really hard at not judging people so quickly. We have no idea what they're going through. It doesn't mean I cannot hate the act they committed. I just think of Marina and how no one, not even her parents, knew her story completely. I am so glad that you not only took that picture, but that 40-something years later, you decided to post it to Facebook. And a few of my friends saw it and knew right away it was me. Crazy how the world works sometimes. Destiny, fate, I don't know. Just so grateful it happened. So then, when I got this, I sent it to her daughter, Ariana. And uh, this is what Ariana said back to me. She said, uh, my mom is incredible. She is such a strong and powerful woman. She lived an extremely difficult childhood. And our childhood, as I remember, was great. Nowhere near the horror stories I've learned throughout the years. She is an amazing mom, and as I grow and still have this great relationship with my mom, I have also learned through this relationship how much hurt and pain she faced through her childhood and young adulthood. And to see such a loving, kind, compassionate, nurturing, empathetic person that has faced multiple tragedies is so empowering for me. That's why I love that photograph so freaking much. Because as much as she was hurting, and yes, at that age, you were a stranger and your genuine smile and hello made her day. And you captured her so genuinely happy. I'm so glad that you have been able to reconnect with my mom and have kept in contact. Your stories are amazing and how you can capture them in just one photo is incredible. You are an extremely talented man, and I am so glad that your passion and love can be shared with everyone because everyone deserves to see it. When I look at your pictures, I'm immediately drawn to how genuine they are. In this day of an age, catching something that feels so real is hard to see with social media at its finest. Your pictures can literally paint a whole scene, write a story. So that's the story behind Michelle. Thank you. Thank you, John. Yeah, I had no idea. That's amazing. Um, thank you.
can we go? Um, yeah, like this is what I'm. You know, actually, like like the, like those kids. Like you know, that's what I'm talking about. Like <laughs> their their response because you know you're bringing out a camera. I mean, they're seeing you. I mean, it's like it's not just a cell phone. I mean, so like. I just think it's wonderful, like the kind of re I think the kind of responses you were able to get in the '70s are just a little qualitatively different. It seems a little more special back then than maybe today, but I don't know. Um, okay. You know, that's another one. Look, you know, and again, the framing is incredible. I mean, it's just you know, it's like a candid, but it's so well put together. And you know, I mean, the look on her face, everything's just a beautiful shot. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I, th there you go. I mean, I do have prints for sale. I mean, because seriously, like, I want, there's some of those. I want that wild Irish. I, I, maybe all three of those. That triptych should be in my living room. Card making, absolutely. I mean, these images are great. I mean, just the, 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 the personalities, the way they shine through there. And, you know, again, the framing and everything is, is really remarkable, John. You know, these are, these are works of art. This is one of my favorites, you know, because... Um, I just I love the uh, the perspective, obviously, like the sense of these these two people and the way they're framed with, like you know, just the view ahead, almost like the future ahead is just this blur. What do you think when you see that 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 particular image? Um, well, I know I know the people. I mean, I went to high school with John on the right, and uh, 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 now my names are. Uh, Escaping me, but anyway, yeah, we and you know they're driving a Volkswagen. One thing I have to say in all the photos, as I go through a lot of them, how many people had Volkswagens then? <laughs> they're every, they're in every photo. There's Volkswagen, Beetles, you know, parked here, there, and everywhere. Um, I never really thought about it, but yeah, there were a lot of Volkswagens. Um, so uh, yeah, John and Marlene, yeah, Marlene, and uh, yeah, I uh, I don't know. I was sitting in the back seat, obviously. <laughs> You know, I, there was no, I wasn't like taking photos with any like uh, plan or, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to take these photos and I'm going to show them or do something. You know, I went years. I mean, nothing really happened until 2016 when Nick Jervin, is Nick here? No, no, he didn't make it. Um, kind of came to me and uh, we did a thing uh, at uh, Jonathan Cooper's studio above uh, uh, Starbucks when he had his uh, violin yeah, right, right. We did a, a six six of us did a street photography thing. Um, that was really one of the first times I really started showing my stuff, and except for online, I, I had put it on on there. Um, so uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, cool shot. Um, yeah, let's. Uh, there's there's some beautiful ones of uh, your friend. Do you, do you, would you like to share any other anecdotes about him? I mean, there's a bunch in the book, but um, I mean, this was someone who was really special to you. Yeah, I mean, so Roger, I knew from the '70s. He lived uh, on Winter Street on the corner of Winter and Pine uh, for a while, and then he lived at the on Brackett Street up close to the um, hospital, and. Roger worked, I think, around 25 years. He was bartending at the Pizza Villa. I mean, he passed away 2004. Um, and uh, I shared an apartment with him. I was actually living with him when I took off with the circus. The circus was in town. He was very upset because he, but the circus was in town. And uh, I went down. They parked it down there on the waterfront where they just built that new veterans hospital complex. The railroad tracks were that field there was all you know they parked the train there. I just went down there and off I went you know as a concessionaire selling cotton candy and uh, 
spent a couple months uh, uh, on that and uh, then came back. Uh, but um, And then Roger got sick. His wife actually got MS. She worked at Maine Med. Um, she's still up north in a, in a home, I think, up there because that's where she came from. And um, when uh, just before Roger, he was getting pretty pretty bad. He lived out in Wyndham. Uh, I would spend a lot of time with him. Um, we always loved to have Italian sandwiches together. And Roger loved his PBR and uh, smoked a lot of cigarettes. He, he, he didn't really take care of himself health-wise. But he was a very intelligent guy, and he was a meticulous when it came to his vinyl albums. So he had these amazing collection, which I ended up being given to me by his sister. And then I gave it to WMPG, so they got them all. And I don't know, you know what happened. They end up in a basement over there. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of story there. I mean, I, it could go on and on, but there's a, you know, these are these are neat scenes from uh, you know, kind of inside the apartment back in those days. And um, oh yeah, there's a couple. <laughs> what a difference that is. Both of those are John. Believe it or not, both of those are John Duncan. Uh, after and before acid. That's. Uh, Yeah, what, you want to talk about this one a bit? Well, that's, that's also in the uh, Forest Avenue Plaza parking lot. And uh, so it's Beth Blood, who, you know, has been around for a long time. And uh, in the 80s, she was with uh, BB and the B-Sides. And in the six, uh, 70s, she was more folky, like the earlier picture where she's sitting with a friend of mine, and they're just doing folk music. Um, Dana, um, who they were kind of hanging out together at that time. June, who was an artist who I hung out with for a while, and then John Reed, who is in that photo in the Volkswagen on the one side of the picture, who went to Falmouth High School, um, who was a good friend. And uh, yeah, uh, just the Volkswagen, the whole, it's, it's just very 70s, isn't it? You can even see my camera case. I had this like briefcase with the camera, and I had like three lenses. I had a 20 millimeter, a 135, and a 35, I think, uh, or whatever. I didn't like 50 millimeter lenses. I liked wide angles. So. Um, yeah, that was that was the kind of when that was taken. Great. Um, oh, this was uh, one of your favorite friends. Yeah, Sandy Bovine, who I know she was from South Portland. She was together with a friend of mine way back. Uh, she has red hair, bright red hair. So you have to, you know, imagine that. Um, she was quite a character. I I haven't. I don't know what happened. We actually hitchhiked to San Francisco. Um, in the 70s, and uh, I ended up, she ended up staying in San Francisco. I came back to Maine, and I have not gotten any feedback. There's some bovines in South Portland, but I don't think any of them were connected. Um, but, uh, so, she, you know, what I forget about is it's been so long. That, I mean, a lot of, some of these people could not even be living now. So it's, it's kind of, you know, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's this one. I, I, it's funny that they didn't just name it this now because what it is, it's you know it's a cannabis store now, and <laughs> it, it, and I actually when they were when they were just before they opened, I popped in with this picture. I said, do you know what this looked like back then? And um, I thought maybe I should do a print of that. They should have it in the store. Um, it would be kind of cool. But uh, it's kind of funny uh, the whole thing. But. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I just, I don't even remember taking the photos. You know, I mean, I don't have a memory. Some I do, but yeah. Yeah, well, that one's particularly iconic for me because it looks like the woman on the right is actually experiencing some kind of stomach pain or something as she <laughs> stands in front. And then, you know, the other woman is a little more high class. She's kind of better dressed. She has a beret. And there's the drugstore and, of course, the bank and the Coke. Um. On the, on the sign, it says, you know, you went there to get your photos developed because it says 40 cents or something for, you know, because everybody went to the drugstores. They had the, you know, the machines and, yeah. Well, you know, cameras and film are, you know, kind of top billing, you know, like a permanent advertisement for a little drugstore like that. So, cam you know, that was huge still. You know, it shows you how popular photography was in that sense. And yet we have so few images like this that are available to us now. So, um, yeah, let's go do another if we can. This is such a beautiful shot. Wow, John. I mean, just breathtaking. I mean, obviously, you know, a, a another can. They're, they're all basically candids. And uh, can you speak a bit about this shot? You know, you know, because obviously now we're we're well outside Portland. We're on Long Island, I believe. So yeah, when I worked on the boats, I spent a lot of time on Long Island. So this is Carol Kil Kilgore slash Elliot, because she was married uh, Peter Kilgore and Peter Elliot. I think. Somebody might out here might help me because I always get confused. One of them was a poet, Peter, and he took his own life at, at one point back, you know. And <coughs> but Eben, who is the boy there, that's um, Carol lives up in uh, up, up at the border in Washington State, almost up to the Canadian border. And it's it's what's really great. I don't have the photo <laughs> with me, so just a couple months ago, she said Evan was up visiting her. And Evan got down on his hands and knees and did exactly what he's doing there with her, uh, you know, and it was just so great, I mean, to, you know, recreate the photo, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I do, I do, uh, uh, that is a, a special because um, in her belly is, I think, um, Shawnee. And uh, Shawnee, her daughter, who's now a musician, a folk musician in Austin, but was born in Falmouth and... Uh, I saw her a few years ago when Suzanne and I were traveling down through Austin, um, and she's an amazing uh, folk singer and does, you know, she has an album and, and she's done some great stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a special one. Priceless, yeah, Greyhound bus station. That's awesome. I mean, again, you know, uh, what a moment you've captured there. Of course, we all love the uh, cardboard uh, license plate. And that belongs, that belonged, the car belonged to Dana. That's the same Volkswagen that was in the shot with Beth Blood. And, and Dana has told me he still has that cardboard plate. <laughs> he still has it. So I'm, and I'm assuming that's, you know, there was a couple, there was a Volkswagen repair place on Washington Avenue, um, I remember. And uh, I think that's probably where that was. I mean, the only other place was like Morong's. I think they were the, the ones that first brought Volkswagens into the area. Um, but yeah. Um, well, why don't we do, uh, yeah, oh, wow, this is, you know, again, so beautiful. I mean, you know, this, uh, this informal portraiture you were doing, you know, the looks that you captured and, you know, just the classic, it's just gorgeous, John. The, the, the work is, is really, really amazing. I love that.
Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, these are so great, too. I mean, uh, the, the one on your left, on the left is uh, of your, your first wife, Pat. I mean, uh, just the, the composition of that one, it blows me away. The middle one is what almost one of my favorite photos in the entire book is, you know, that, that woman with her, her son there. Um, right, which was a laundromat at the time. Yeah. That's such another great moment. And then on the right, you've got uh, Jim Ledoux, who, you know, uh, certainly uh, deserves some remarks. John, can you elaborate, tell, tell folks who he was? Yeah, Jimmy, um, we all hung out together in the 70s. Jimmy and John Reed, who was in some other photos, and a guy named Michael Alport. We hitchhiked and traveled out to Gillette, Wyoming, um, to uh, um, work on oil rigs. Uh, we thought, you know, we were kind of into Kerouac and all that stuff at that time and on the road. and So, yeah, there we were out there. We stayed in the bunkhouse. It was, you could come into town with no money. This guy would put you up in his bunkhouse, hook you up with a drill foreman, and you would go out and work 12-hour shifts on, on oil platforms. I didn't stay too long, a couple months. Jimmy stayed out there for quite some time, um, like a n eight or nine months. He was actually working up at the top of the tower where haven't been on one for a while. We, you know, when they pull the pipe up, there has to be somebody way up there that kind of reaches out and grabs the pipe to kind of guide it to screw it into the, the next pipe. And uh, yeah, he, I, th I think he did that. So I'm thinking that's where he, because it was well paid even for the 70s. I think it was six bucks an hour, but it was 12 hour days, overtime over eight, and you know, six days a week. So you could save money, but you know, we were going into the town. It's a small place. We were drinking away and, and, and doing this and that. So, you know, I, I don't remember really saving a lot. Um, but uh, but it, was a, it was an adventure. And then Jim, Chris started Alberta's Restaurant, um, which I think in the 80s, it was one of the first, you know, he really changed the food scene in Portland, I think. And, and then him and then Jonathan St. Laurent was involved with that too. Um, and he was very... Um, he, he supported the arts a lot. Uh, uh, he, um, yeah, and some people loved him and some people hated him. I mean, some people had all kinds of different issues with Jim, but, but uh, yeah, I, I, I wasn't around when, when he passed. I, I missed it, uh, kind of. I was think I was trucking at that time, so I, I, I wasn't here. I didn't know until it, about it until later on. And, uh, but um, it's a big family, and there's still some, some of those people are left, his family, and uh, yeah. Um, that's that's Jim. That's really cool. Yeah, very important figure in uh, the, the history of Portland's restaurant scene for sure. Um, yeah, some of the the nightlife and the bands. Um, you know, John. By the way, question. You know, most of almost all the photos that you you included in the book are are taken during the day. Um, I assume you took as many photos at night, or did you not take as many, or um, you know, were some of the night shots not? Quite uh, ready for Island Port Press, or you know, like <laughs> I didn't like using flash that much. I don't know if I did here or not. Um, and I, I, um, I don't have a lot of night. I do more now with a digital, um, but uh, this was obviously indoors. At from what I understand, I think it may be the Rook and Pawn. I'm not sure. The band was called the Big Roll Band. I know that much. And people have named the people, which I can't really remember off the top of my head. I don't know if they're still with us or not in terms of... Uh, somebody said it was the um, Rook and Pawn. 
It's not Geno's. I don't think it's not Geno's because uh, I do have something in Geno's, and I, I just I, and I can't even remember where the Rook and Pawn was, but uh, it was somewhere. Cool. Yeah, just a little. Uh, wow. You know, another uh, on the shot on the left again. You know, please make prints. You know, we're ready to have like full size reproductions of your work. These are they're two of your friends from back in the day. Beautiful shots here, John. Um, can I ask you, I, I guess just kind of an obvious question, but you know, maybe not obvious. Why, uh, why were you shooting in black and white? Was there some intention back then? It was cheap, and I could develop it myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do have some color. You know, I have a lot of color slides that I kind of got into that I haven't even delved into those but much yet. But... Um, yeah, it was just, you know, I, I sometimes I bought, I bought the film sometimes on those rolls, and I had one of those things you could load your own things, but uh, sometimes I do have some strips of film that have like a little hairline through them, because if you got a little piece of uh, dust or something in the little felt where the film came out, it would just cause a, a thing over it. But it was quite inexpensive to get film that way. Um, and uh, so I think, yeah, I, I developed it, and... Uh, just a, a, a quick story, too. Uh, it just popped into my head, but the photo there of the state drugstore. So I'm maybe last year, year before, I'm in Norm's barbershop, the senior citizens. I go in there and talk to Norm. And I had heard that my birth mother's, uh, my grandfather on that, on that side of my family that you know I found, that he was, his name was Bowler, and he had a barbershop up at the state theater building. So I was asking Norman about it, and Norman brought out a folder, like a, a notebook, and he opens it up, and there's a print of that picture of the state drugstore. And I said, Norman, that's my photo. A and he didn't know, he couldn't remember, but I realized that I had given him that print. It was an actual print I must have made and given to Norman back in the set. It was such a weird thing. You know, you're talking 40 years later, and here he is opening it up. It was just, you know, that stuff's been happening a lot, so this kind of, you know, yeah. That's great. It's a small town for sure in that sense. There's the, the sh that's the Schwartz building when it was actually occupied uh, last. Imagine that. You <laughs> know, uh, Jeffrey Rice is still working on that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, any, any year now. Morris. Morris, is there enough? That's a, that's a very interesting shot, John. You took that, this self-portrait on Long Island in a, in a house that was uh, being demolished. Uh, you you made a remark underneath this, uh, like it might have been a comment on your, your state of mind at the time, or could you elaborate? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think I, I I can't remember if I was under the influence of some substance at the time, but I I took I took the photo and then I thought about you know it, it kind of reflects that and it's interesting. My son Joel, who lives in Sweden now, but when he was kind of traveling around Europe, he has a photo in Berlin that mirrors this. He took it personally. He's in a dilapidated building, uh, um, taking a photo that's you know almost the same same kind of photo. I thought it's kind of neat for a father to have his son do that, you know. But <laughs> yeah, but he uh, yeah he got around Europe uh, uh, quite a bit in those days. Um, yeah, yeah, that that was it. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it at that. But another amazing shot for sure. I mean, really. Um, that's another one of my favorites. I mean, I think this is one of the, again, you're saying you were just shoo shooting from the hip here. Um, uh, you know, and, and can you talk a bit more about this method where you're just walking down the street and just kind of 
clicking. You're, you, you're not pointing at anything. You're not looking at anything. And then you would get stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, I still do it. Uh, you know, with the camera I have now, uh, sometimes just click. You know, but um, you know, and I don't know if I knew. He looks kind of familiar to me. The thing that I always found interesting was her hand, the way it's like a claw, you know, she's holding her hand up. And the code is kind of kind of interesting. And then uh, you see the state theater, that's when it was a porn theater. So it, it never said the names of the films, it just said 16 millimeter big hits. Um, and yeah, and that was, it was that way for quite some time. But as a child, I was going to the state to watch like Fantasia and, and you know, all these Disney films, and I remember my father taking me to see Please Don't Eat the Daisies with Doris Day, and somewhere in that film, I don't know how old I was, I was maybe 12, I don't know, I'm, I'm with him, I don't know, you know why or what I was doing, but it, and the word sex appeared, and it came up in the film, sex, and I didn't know what that word, uh, word meant, I, I, I thought it was, I, 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 I said to my dad, I said, Dad, what's sex? And he turned to me, and, and, he, and he said, <laughs> he said to me, it's a big number. <laughs> and I thought, it, it was kind of a double, you know, I didn't think of it at the time. I, th I thought as a kid that it was like, you know, I thought of, oh, you mean like sextillion. I kind of somehow knew, because there is, you know. So that's, <laughs> but, but it's kind of a double. <laughs> I'm not sure how we got there, but uh, I'm glad we did. Yeah, there's Marlene again, probably same car. You know, more kind of shots from the street. Another beautiful shot. That's from the Old Port Festival. And, you know, I mean, people like say, oh, you know, it was rowdy back then. But, yeah, it was rowdy at the end or whatever, too. But you still, you know, it was a beautiful family time, too, um, lest we forget um, for sure. Uh, wow, there's, uh, is it Denise Luttrell? Was that her? Denise Luttrell. Yeah, Portland poet, Steve Luttrell's ex. That was taken at, uh, at the Old Port Tavern, I believe. Yeah, and I just found that negative, came across it when I was doing the book last year and posted it on the encyclopedia, and I almost instantaneously Steve Luttrell saw it and said who it was. I, I don't remember. She, uh, uh, Dee Dee, uh, Rockin' Dee Dee, I think she, uh, he used the term. But the thing that was so lovely, and it's a quote in the book with the photo, he said to me, I fell in love with her voice before I fell in love with her. And I thought that was such a lovely you know, statement. She's not with us anymore. And yeah, she, she was a singer, I guess. And uh, um, those doors still are still there inside, you know, in the old port. When you come in, the first set of doors is still the door with a porthole. Um, same owner, too, I think, isn't it? All these years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it, was a, I, it was a surprise to find that photo. <laughs> That's a wonderful memory. That's you, uh, I believe, at the bag. You said uh, you you had a bu you know, bunch of a uh, series of mirror shots. You were doing a lot of mirror stuff. Um, there's a nice, uh, yeah. That's that uh, Portland during the day. Well, I just want to say, you know, there's two pictures. Uh, that one, if you look down on the right, you see the foundation going in for the uh, Civic Center, and the other one, which I don't know if it's in this series, is looking the other way, where you see where it's an empty parking lot where Nickelodeon is. They've torn that all down. I do not to this day know what I was doing on the top of, it was one of those first Canal Bank buildings. I have no idea what I was doing up there. <laughs> I was obviously up there, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, it's, yeah. Yeah, that's the Holiday Inn by the Bay up there. Is that the end of the, uh, 
the role. Great. Um, Rachel, anything else? Uh, do we want to do some audience Q and A, or um, yeah, let's. Do you want? Yeah, that'd be great. I'm just curious. Um, are you going to donate your vast collection to somebody to for safekeeping for posterity someday? I, mean, I guess at some point, yeah, those negatives. I mean, I've never really felt. I've never. Felt very possessive of my photos. I mean, I you know, I put them out there online. I mean, I uh, you know, obviously the book. Uh, there's copyright stuff, I guess, along with that to some extent. But I mean, they're still my my photos. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I suppose those uh, at some point um, those negatives should end up. Well, they, they would end up with my kids. My kids were always after me about you know doing something with my photos saying like dad you need to do something because if you don't we're going to be stuck doing something <laughs> you know and I just want to mention that you know and then I, I just recently discovered a gentleman up in Edinburgh Scotland uh, a, a man named Robert Bloomfield who uh, he died he was in his 80s he was a physician and um, he was taking pictures all his life too on the streets of Edinburgh and Scotland in, in the 1950s 60s 70s really amazing stuff that uh, I would have uh, love to have uh, met him. I've met his son and I hope to meet him in June when I fly over there to go to the Glastonbury Music Festival. And we're going to trade books about because uh, his, his, uh, his dad is gone and they're trying to archive all his work uh, and going through uh, photos. And he has far more, I mean, he just masses of stuff. Uh, so uh, it's been nice to connect with that. Um, so yeah, uh, I just have to keep that in mind <laughs> to do uh, yeah, something. I guess you could also yell it if that helps. I did want to mention too. I forgot we have John's so most of the images, not all, on display at the at the downtown branch of the library too. It's in the lower level hallway, so it'll be up for another month or so. Um, all right. If you don't have any questions, John is going to be signing copies of the book over here. Uh, grab another beer. Oh, he has. So, and Mary Jo, uh, Mary Jo. Uh, Keller Van Mierlo. Um, so I, I just recently put it on my Instagram, Facebook. We're doing a fundraiser. It just we just the, the um, GoFundMe page just came uh, was posted today um, for a bench, a memorial bench on the West End. So uh, you can find her easily by just looking up Mary Jo. Uh, if you go to GoFundMe, you can just type in Mary Jo Bench, and it'll come up. Um, and Mary Jo's son is here, Yuri, and Mary Jo's sister, Jean, is here. And I'm really, that means a lot to me. And Yuri and I just got together the other day to talk about the fundraiser and all this. They've been actually working on the, the city does these benches, and it's kind of a, th a thing. So, so I just wanted to mention that. And uh, yeah, so. Is it the West End? Yeah, West End, okay, cool. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so thanks again. Thank you so much. And thanks for coming and um, stick around. Mm -hmm.